Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Uh, we have a saying here at Northside, and we say it so often that I'm sure some of you are probably getting sick of it. You know it off by heart. In fact, I've met a long-lost auntie, a distant auntie, earlier on in the year, and she'd watched us online, and she even recited our saying that we are constantly going on about. And uh, you're going to be able to complete it for me. You'll get an extra gold star if you do. But I always say here that at Northside, you can belong before you believe and you... There we go. I saw that eye roll. I saw that eye roll. (laughs) Which sounds nice. It, It sounds really nice. But how do you deal with in between believe and behave? You thought it, because, because belong before you believe is, is kind of cool. It means like, hey, if you're a guest with us this morning, and that might be you, you may not yet be a Christian, maybe your friends dragged you along to church, maybe you are watching online and you're not yet a Christian, and, and we could work with that. Hey, you're a guest with us, and just hang out, you can belong before you believe. But how do you deal with what's between believe and then behave? Because uh, have you noticed that life always sends, tends to operate on spectrums? There's, it can be on spectrums of an either or. Here's an example, and you can, you can help me out with this. Uh, I want you all to stand up, stand up for me, if you can stand up this morning. There we go. <clears throat> what I want to do is an exercise, and, and I, I just want to get a sense of opinions in the room. And what we're going to do is, uh, if you're the latter of what I'm saying, which is going to be over on this side, um, if you're the latter of the two, then you just sit down. And so the, the first is in this spectrum is, are you a morning person or are you a night owl? Morning person or night, all the night owls take a seat for us. There we go. Are we, are we kind of 50-50? Yeah. <laughs> all right, stand back up again. You're going to be this active. You're like, I haven't done these many squats in church in a long time. Okay. Beach holiday or country holiday? Beach holiday, country holiday, you sit down. About 50-50 again, all right? (laughs) Okay, on the holiday theme. Active, everyone standing back up again. There we go, you're going to feel this at the end of church. Active holiday or just give me a deck chair and a book? Deck chair and a book, just sit down. Yes, Kristen, sit down. (laughs) I'm on a holiday, I'm like, I've got it all mapped out. I'm like, we're going, we're climbing this mountain, we're doing this, aren't we? All right, okay, you can all sit down now. Thank you very much, thank you very much. Right. Well, it would be fair to say there's, there's a range of whole heap of different opinions between these spectrums. And so I'm not going to get you to stand up for this one because this is where it could be really dangerous. Because what happens in the scenario, for example, that someone comes to our service on a Sunday morning at the front door and they're drunk. Do we let them in the service or do we turn them away? Are you glad we're not standing up, sitting down? <laughs> Are you, you feeling this? Uh, someone that you've known and you've served with for years comes to you and confesses to you that they've realized that they're gay. They still be part of the church? Or they've got to go? Can they serve? Can they not serve?
We had a period in the 80s where divorcee comes along and says, I want to preach. They preach. Can they not? Can they stay? But they go. You feeling this? There's a tension. And wouldn't you agree that when we come to these issues, life's just messy. Church is messy. Which way is it? Is it either or? Are we either or? It's just, it feels like it's messy. There's a tension. There's a tension that we feel. And if, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. That there is a tension in the church when we love the way that Jesus loved. And a tension in the church when we love the way that Jesus calls us to love. There will be a tension because Jesus' love is messy and inconsistent and unfair. You see it all the time. You see it with the woman at the well. He goes and tells her that, well, you've been sleeping with this guy, this guy, and this guy, but you know, come to me, you're thirsty. <laughs> you're a true worshipper. Which way is it, Jesus? <laughs> you know, the thief on the cross. Uh, <laughs> He says, we're getting what we deserve. Jesus says, amen to that. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And yet, at the same time, this is the guy that said to the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have. You're not coming to the kingdom of heaven. Which way is it, Jesus? Messy. <laughs> uh, Ma Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, hey, Matthew, stop collecting taxes for the Romans. Uh, come follow me. All the rest of the disciples are going, but hang on, Jesus, it looks like, I don't care what it looks like, he's just following me. Right? Jesus' love was messy and that creates a tension and I don't want you to miss this that if we try and resolve the tension created by the way that Jesus loves and calls us to love we lose something we lose the ability to the way to love the way that he loved and here's here's really the, at the heart of the tension here's the tension grace and truth because grace says, you're okay. And truth says, no, you're not. And grace says, it's fine. And truth says, no, it's not. And grace says, I'm good. And truth says, you're wrong. Which way is it? Church? Class? There's the tension for us. And the thing is... These tensions pop up every single week. You didn't think I'd just invent this stuff, right? I don't just invent it. These are the North Side stories over 15 years worth of ministry. These are the people as, as, that I've met that have turned up drunk to the front door of church. Which, which way is it? To which many of you would say, well, hang on, Sam. Look, that's what we pay you and the elders for, right? <laughs> Can't you guys just sort it out? That's what we pay you for. I like it's hurting my head already, dude. Like... Oh, yeah, you had me lost at the whole deck chair active holiday thing, right? Like, I'm still trying to work that one out, okay? That's what we pay you for, which is fine. I'm happy to wrestle that through with our leadership. But there's a real problem with that, that in 99% of the situations where these tricky, messy issues arise in the church, they don't arise in my office or out behind the closed doors there in our family room, as we call it. 99% of these situations arise over a cup of coffee or in your homes or in a community group or, or in a bunch of friends that you are with people. And 99% of the times, I and the elders are not there. 
Because as I say, you are your church. That's why I say you are your church. I'm not there. I'm not in that situation. And it's in that moment, how you respond, how you react, how you deal with the messy middle that makes all the difference between whether a person in that moment receives grace or truth or maybe something in between. And so that's why it's so vital that we talk about this this morning. I don't need to hear this. I get paid to do this. <laughs> but you are your church. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to work this through. So the good news is for you this morning, though, if you're a little bit worried, is that this is nothing new. And the church has been dealing with this tension basically from the minute that it got started. Would you believe that? The minute the church gets started, it was dealing with this tension. And I take you back to week one when we were talking about the church in Antioch. Remember the church in Antioch? It was there that it says in chapter 11 that it was at Antioch, the church in Antioch, that the disciples were first called Christians. They were called Christians because people had scattered out to Antioch and started sharing the good news, the hope that Krista was talking about this morning. Not that, oh, the hope is that we've got a Bible with all of this truth in it. The good news of Jesus was that people come back from the dead and we saw him. And so Gentile, non-Jewish people, Romans and Greeks, convert to Christianity. And so this amazing church bustles up in Antioch. People are jumping over the walls that kept all the races apart. And this big church starts up, and it's just amazing. And yet there's a bit of a problem. They run into a snag. That all the great news of this church that's emerging in the church of Antioch, and they didn't know how to describe it, so they just called them Christians there. All of that gets taken back to the Jerusalem church, and people hear about that, and the Jerusalem church send, as most good churches do, they send their best traditional people to go and sort these people out, right? And so that's where we pick up the passage this morning. It then says, certain individuals came down from Judea, that's like the state where Jerusalem is, to Antioch, and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Right? So all the blokes who are Gentiles start to cross their legs going, oh, I don't want to join this church, right? And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Why? Because on one hand of that church in Antioch, they come across truth. You need to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. Paul and Barnabas go, no way, it's grace. It's grace that these guys have been saved. And so Paul and Barnabas said, we're going to Jerusalem to talk about this. And so they get to Jerusalem and they begin to have a, a big meeting. It was called the Jerusalem Council with James, the brother of Jesus. And all the apostles were there. Peter was there. We know that name. Peter was there. All of them, all in one room, getting together for a big meeting to work out how do we solve the tension that you and I are trying to solve this morning, right? Nothing new. And what I love is it's, it's a case study of two different paradigms of church. The Jerusalem church, it says here that the believers said that you must be circumcised according to the law of Moses in order to be part of our church. So in other words, what this church's motto was, you behave before you believe. And this church over in Antioch, their motto was, you believe before you behave. Because we have to understand that the way that these conversions were happening for these two different types of people was distinctly different. For the Jewish converts to Christianity, it says in Acts 15 that a member of the party of the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees, the enemy of Jesus, were converting to Christianity. 
And so for a Pharisee who's grown up in uh, all of their robes and all of their ways of doing things and Sabbath and keeping all the laws of Moses, in order to convert to Christianity and follow Jesus was simply merely just a little next step on the entire lifestyle and history and culture that they'd been part of for years. And so that's an easy step, right? I just take all of my good behavior and I just trust in Jesus for my salvation to fulfill the law. These guys over here, you know, these guys are like something out of a rave party with glow sticks and the whole lot, right? Uh, they're, just, they're just going wild in comparison, right? And so for their conversion to happen as a Roman or a Greek and all of their multi-god religion that they've been part of, you see it was a much bigger deal to convert in that way. And so as a result, the problem arises because all of these Gentiles, non-Jews, are bringing all of their non-Jewish behavior into the church. How do we deal with the tension between believe and behave. Ready for the case study? So we have then, one party gets up, the Jews, they say, you need the snip. Verse 5, some of the believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Behave before you believe. They need truth. And then Peter gets up, who was a Jew, verse 8, And he says, hang on, hang on, here's my bit in the big argument that we've got here. He says, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them, the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us religious people. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? You know what Peter's saying there? Nothing says hypocrite more than believers policing the behaviours of non-believers and not being able to behave themselves. (laughs) I heard that in a sermon once. Great sermon too, by the way. (laughs) Week one, week one, if you want to click here on YouTube right now. (laughs) So, So you've got to get the step. Peter says, no, hang on. God didn't discriminate. Grace. Truth. Grace truth grace which way is it how are we going to solve this and in typical fashion it's always left up to the senior pastor to try and broker an agreement between it all and so the senior pastor of the jerusalem church was james the brother of jesus which a quick side note if you're not yet a follower of jesus this is one of the greatest arguments for the fact that jesus christ was the son of god because i tell you what you know there's no way in the world even if i said to my younger brother that i am god that he's going to go up and lead a church and, and go to the death for him. Uh, there was something about Jesus that had James leading a church of people in a hostile Jewish culture where he's saying, my brother's God, right? And here's what James, the brother of Jesus, says. Verse 19, sits back, thinks about it, pauses for it a bit. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, the non-religious people who are trying to turn to God. I love that verse. That verse is at the center of everything that we do in this church. We do all we can in this church to not make it difficult for people who are trying to turn to God. 
whole reason why we're happy with Messi. It's the whole reason why our value as the church is, is from this passage. You can see the biblical evidence. We accept people where they are at, helping them to become all that God has designed them to be. We accept them where they're at because, as we saw from Peter, God didn't discriminate. God didn't judge you. Your faith, our faith, is an act of grace. So James says, oh, it's my judgment. We shouldn't make it difficult. And does he stop there? No. It's very great. It's all grace. No, he says, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. And so, basically, he says, look, tell them, just, just do this. Tell them, Stop annoying your Jewish brothers <laughs> and, and just live the human life in, in a way that it's meant to be lived. <laughs> this is a good way to live. And so what we have in verse 19 and 20 is not grace or truth. We have grace and truth. You see that? Grace and truth. And it wasn't his idea, it was his brother's idea. And John reminds us that it was his brother's idea in John chapter 1. Because he said, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Both and, both and, grace and truth. So question for you then, which end do you tend to lean towards? Don't have to shout it out, <laughs> don't turn to the person next to you. Don't kind of look across, I'm a, I'm a truther, I'm a truther, oh, I'm a gracer, I feel proud, I'm a gracer, I'm just for all people, right? But we tend to lean towards one way or the other, right? Because messy is uncomfortable and we have this tendency to move to one end of the spectrum because either or is always easier. And I'll, sh I'll show you why, right? Like if, if this is the issue that we're dealing with and I've got my two sticks of truth and grace right? It's, it's, it's very hard to hold, hold the issue on top, of, on, on top of one or the other, right? Like, it's not like grace is any kind of easier to hold there than truth is, right? But it's a lot different when, hey, I don't know if this is going to work for me or not. I know you can, tension we need to manage. It's a lot easier when you can hold it dynamically in tension, that was that long enough for me to prove my point. Okay, thank you. <laughs> right? You see the difference? It's when we can hold, when we can hold it in tension between grace and truth. These issues that come into the church all the time, it's both addedness. And what's crazy about the both addedness and the paradox of the both addedness is that we think that it's more unstable, but it's actually dynamically more stable. Because to be either or means that it's wonderfully stable to be on the truth side of the equation until the moment someone comes and has a different opinion from your truth. And then suddenly we resort not into stability but defensiveness. Could we be the sort of church where we can hold these issues in the tension of grace and truth? We want to be a messy church because messy is stable and it's dynamically stable and messy is guided by the Holy Spirit too, by the way, not by me and not by the elders. God's church survived through all these tensions because it is the role of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus says, is to take what is mine and make it known to you. 
So if you're worried about how you're going to act in this moment, pray that the Holy Spirit gives you the right words and the right leading and the grace to work it through. But if you're wondering how this works, let me finish quickly with a couple of key principles as a church that helps us remain in the tension between grace and truth. The first one is that we prioritize outsiders over insiders. We focus on the outsider over the insider. And here's why. Because churches that focus on the insiders have a tendency to gravitate towards the inside. And the reason that you gravitate towards the insider is because pastors don't get emails from the people who are not in church. Have you noticed that? People, pastors don't get complaints from the people who are not here. Right? And so we, we as leaders always have a tendency to gravitate towards the insider because they're the ones who make the noise. And I love you. I love us all. <laughs> but we want to be a church that focuses on the outsider, not the insider. We want to be a church that makes it easy for outsiders to be and to access God and to turn to God. And so are you accessible to outsiders? Is your language accessible to outsiders? Is your posture accessible to outsiders? Classic, I remember a colleague talking about how uh, they, they were watching as a visitor walked in their church. And this is, this is kind of an issue worthy of judgment of the fires of hell. Is that this new visitor sat down and this uh, lady came up and tapped him on the shoulder and said... You're in my seat. You know, I've been sitting there for 20 years. <laughs> that sounds crazy, but we do this. We do this as Christians, right? We, so we focus on the outside and the inside. The other thing we do is that we, we prioritize conversations over policies. Every now and then, I'll get an email from people, normally new guests, and they will say to us, hey, what is the church's position on X? And, you know, generally, people are just trying to wrestle these things through. But most of the time, there's a person there that's saying, what they're really asking is, I'm just wondering, will your church agree with my hardened, locked-in, theological or political opinion? That's what they're really asking in that moment. And I just want to make sure that I get myself aligned with someone else that's going to believe what I believe. No grace and truth, no tension in all of that. So we... We prioritize conversation over policy. I say, no, we'll have a conversation about it. Because policies, policies are always easier. Policies are helpful. And we're not saying we're anti-policy, but policy is the sort of thing that if left to go too rampant, people don't have to think. They just have a whole set of policies that are given to them. <laughs> and we rarely, if ever, have a blanket policy to say, this is our position on X because we want to have more conversations than policies. And conversations are hard, and conversations are difficult, and conversations are tricky, and conversations take humility. But can you imagine the sort of church that we would be when someone comes to you with a tricky issue, instead of the first thing out of our mouths is, well, our policy is that we don't... What if the first conversation was, tell me more about that. That must be difficult for you. How does that feel? What are you worried about? Are you, are, you, are you scared? How can I help you? And look, there might be everything within your head saying, I think this is totally wrong, but we prioritise conversation over policy. And here's why. We've, we've been a church that in the past, you know, as I said, divorced people and couldn't get up and preach on a Sunday, let alone have a senior minister that was a divorcee one to two times over, right, Leonie, Jenny? <laughs> 
right? We were a radical church back in the day, and I still want us to be a radical church for grace and truth. I want to continue that amazing legacy that we've had, where other churches would look at you and go, if you went to Northside, you've backslidden. You've abandoned truth. (laughs) We're not abandoning truth. We're in the tension of the messy middle. And there was a time when you would do that, when we'd say, oh, divorced people can't preach. But here's the thing. Divorcee was a category. And yet, I don't know about you, but every time I met a divorcee, they're not a category. They're an individual. And an individual inside a category, even though you see them as a category, always sees themselves as an individual. Don't you reckon? So we do everything we can to resist creating policies that create categories for people in this church. Okay, and the third one is this. If in doubt, <laughs> and this comes back to, we had the most dynamic super connect on Monday night. Like, wasn't it great, Andy? It was wonderful. Uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad half the group were online. It was a passionate, it was a passionate night, wasn't it? But it was beautifully passionate, wasn't it, Andy? It was just the most, I had people calling me up that week going, that was like just the best connect group that we ever had. And people are arguing with each other and in love, of course, working, but it was, people were alive because they were in the tension between grace and truth. They're trying to work out what it means to judge the insider. Here's the thing though, at the end of it, here's my conclusion, James style, and I'm not saying I'm, you know, brother of Jesus or anything, but if in doubt, if in doubt, lean towards grace. That's the sensible thing to do. If in doubt, between truth and grace, lean towards grace. God, who knows the heart, showed us that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And this means that through the Holy Spirit, God at the same time accepted both those with the crazy behavior and those with the lifetime of morally upright living and all of the traditions that they came with at the same time. So just let's lean towards grace. Let's, let's lean towards grace. It doesn't mean we're all grace and it doesn't mean we're all truth, but we lean towards grace. He, God accepts people where they are and we help them to become all that he has designed them to be. And so we say, okay, if I'm going to make a judgment on this person, let's first be really clear that I too was accepted by God's grace and so I will bestow it to them. Make sense? And here's the thing I've noticed between grace and law. Have you noticed this? Um, When it's your issue, you want grace. (laughs) When it's their issue... It's law. (laughs) Ever notice that? And when it's your issue, hey, I'm nuanced. It's my childhood. You don't understand. Hang on, but give me a chance. When it's their issue, it's law. Let's lean towards grace. And we will see what the Holy Spirit does in the midst of all of that. So we we look, we, we focus on the outsider over the insider. It doesn't mean we don't love the insider. We love the insider. I love you all, brothers and sisters. But our mission here is to not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Amen? And then in so, in so doing, let's prioritize conversation over policy. We're not going to have a position on X or Y or Z. In fact, I don't know any positions that this church has. And if that causes you tension, then maybe this morning that's because you're sort of person that likes to live on one end of the stick. And we want to invite you into the messy middle. And then most of all, if you're in doubt, as I said last week, if judgment energizes you, Lean towards grace. Sound fair? 
Because here's the thing I want to ask you this morning, church. If you're a part of Northside, if you're a guest, this is not for you just yet. This is for the church family. Guys, are you willing to live with the tension of the messy middle? And it's not easy. We're passionate about truth. and We're passionate about the way that we feel Jesus calls us to live. And we love the Bible. And we're for the Bible. We believe that it's God's ultimate truth. We believe that too. But I just find that the Bible has got a lot of simple answers. They're just very difficult to apply. Have you found that? And in fact, if you want to see that, you know, go to Romans 6. And you see Paul, waxing lyrical, says this verse where he says, What shall we do then? Keep on sinning? What, was she just so God can show us more and more forgiveness? You know what Paul was trying to resolve to his church? How you deal with the in-between of believe and behave. And all of Paul's letters throughout the epistles and the Corinthian church that we saw before were all of Paul's desperate efforts for a guy that's not able to stream via YouTube. Hit subscribe. Paul wasn't able to live stream to his churches, so he had to write letters to say, guys, this is how I think you should deal with the messy middle. And you know what we wonderful Christians have done throughout history? We went and took that beautiful dynamic in between that Paul was trying to foster in his church, and we made it either or. You know, the drunkards and the slanderers, all of those shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we made it an either or. And we missed the fact that Paul was just playing with his church Diablo. <laughs> and just trying to mention, manage the same tension that's existed for years and it exists in our church today. How do we find and deal with the tension between believe and behave? You, we embrace the messy middle. And we love the way that Jesus loved in a messy, inconsistent, unfair, grace-filled, truth-filled, both-end way. And when we do that, well, we begin to reflect the sort of church that Jesus started. And when we do that, we recognize there's a tension that if we resolve at church, we're going to lose something. We're going to lose the ability to love the way that Jesus loved. Truth and grace. Let's pray. Father, help us with this. Oh, and you've helped your church over so many thousands of years. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move into those moments that a couple of hundred different Northsiders are going to go in towards because words are going to be spoken. Opinions will be thought. Judgments will be made. And it's in those moments that are so far beyond the walls of a church. It's those moments that's going to be in a cafe with someone. It's those moments that's going to be over the phone as a good friend confesses something in their life. It's going to be in those moments where someone who's plucked up the courage to turn up to church for the first time in 30 years is going to meet someone in our foyer. And the words and the posture that is communicated to them in that micro moment is going to tell them whether or not Everything that they've feared about the church and Christians is right or wrong. Father, you have built a precious place that is called Northside Community Church that is far from perfect, but absolutely relentless in its DNA to plant itself squarely and firmly in the middle between grace and truth and to invite you in, Father, and Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit to be the leader of this place. 
the leader in every conversation, the leader in every sermon, the leader in every dynamic, super connect, feisty discussion. All of that we declare to be the beautiful dynamic tension between grace and truth that you are fostering in this place. Help us with us. Protect us in that, Father, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.